Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Karen Newell is an author and specialist in personal development with a diverse body of work that rests upon the foundation of heart-centered consciousness. Her personal growth programs, workshops, guided meditations, and teachings enable individuals to achieve life transformations towards greater self-fulfillment and contentment, quality relationships, and choices aligned with one's soul calling. As an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entrainment audio meditation, Karen empowers others in their journeys of self-discovery. Using sacred acoustics recordings and other techniques, she teaches how to enter and engage with your inner world to connect to guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. Karen is co-author with Dr. Eben Alexander of Living in a Mindful Universe. At international workshops presented with Dr. Alexander, Karen demonstrates key practices of consciousness exploration, including heart awareness, intention, maintaining neutrality, emotional management, and cultivating internal knowing. This is my conversation with Karen, where she shares her story of heart consciousness, synchronicities along the way, and the development of sacred acoustics. Welcome, Karen, to the show. It's so lovely to connect. Yes, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I remember seeing you at a conference a few years back, and you spoke about your history and your background. And you actually spoke way back from childhood and being someone that was very connected with nature on a very, you know, through your heart chakra, if you will, very heart centered. I was just very inspired by your whole life story. So I would love if if you could walk us through that a little bit to how you met Dr. Alexander. Okay, sure. Well, yeah, that feeling connected with nature kind of snuck up on me. It was a result of spending a lot of time at a camp, a church camp for Methodist kids. And this was in Oregon on the west coast of the United States where we have just the most amazingly beautiful beaches. When I moved to the east coast, I found there's skyscrapers and amusement parks and boardwalks, but in Oregon, there's none of that. And so it's just absolutely beautiful. And I would go there every summer. And I remember that I wasn't really sure about this whole God thing. And uh, I remember asking one of the ministers, um, you know, do you think it's okay? I don't think I believe in God. Is it, you know, what do you think? And he said, oh, well, you know, that's okay. It's not for everyone. And I thought, wow. That's a uh, that's interesting. And I said, well, can I still come to church camp? And he said, well, of course you can. It's all about fellowship and being with each other. And so I stopped worrying about the belief in God or not. And when the counselors at camp would tell us to go out into the woods and commune with God, I thought, well, I don't have to commune with God because I don't know what that is. And he's not showing up for me. So I communed with the trees the sand dunes, the the rocks, the wind, the ferns, all of the beautiful nature that was around me. And I felt a connection. And it was much, much later in life that I realized what I was doing. I was connecting with that God force. But it was that word God and the dogma behind it that I was concerned about. But the feeling of that connection was absolutely real. And I didn't have any like... uh, 
you know, trumpets playing or lights showing up, nothing supernatural, but I felt a completely natural communion with the natural world around me, just a beautiful thing. And uh, as I, I got older, I still remained curious, you know, about why are we here? What is our purpose? And I wasn't satisfied with the answers I got from Methodist Church, and no one in my public school would even address such questions. So I began my own search and started reading a lot of different types of spiritual texts, a lot of esoteric texts, maybe stuff that came from a uh, hypnotic regression when people were going back and into maybe past lifetimes. I started reading all of this different information. And I eventually learned that we can all have the kinds of experiences that I was reading about. And it's not just saved for ch the chosen few who say happen to have a near-death experience or, or something else. You can actually cultivate these kinds of experiences. And I wanted them. I wanted to feel the energy. I wanted to see God. I wanted to see a light. I wanted to, you know, really understand how that energy part of me worked. So I started going um, to workshops, not to move beyond reading and to into generating personal experience. And as I was doing all of this, I spent several years going to workshops. I had a full-time job as a busy, uh, technology director, project manager, and a publishing company full-time, but on weekends and time off, I would spend at all of these different types of workshops. And over time, I was able to develop personal experience, much to my satisfaction. And along the way, I was at a workshop and met Dr. Evan Alexander. Now, this was in November of 2011. So his book, Proof of Heaven, did not come out until 2012. In fact, when I met him, he didn't even have an agent yet. He met his agent the following week. And before you know it, he had a book deal and they rushed it to press very quickly. But when I met him, I knew he'd had a near-death experience and I had met others who had had near-death experiences. So for me, it wasn't anything new or spectacular. Uh, to me, it was just something that happened to people. And I was curious about that experience. And so, again, the book wasn't out. I didn't know. And he said, um, or I asked him, you know, usually people learn really intense, profound spiritual lessons from these kinds of journeys. And what did you learn? And he said, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I was confused. And I said, well, why would anyone think that it does? And this is where he was shocked to hear me say that. And uh, this is where I realized that the kind of secular scientific world, this is the primary concept that the brain creates consciousness, that somehow our awareness arises from physical matter. No one knows how it, ha how it happens. But that's the assumption. And of course, that's not an assumption that I ever had. And so it really surprised me to learn that so many scientists around the world are really dug into this idea that only the physical world is real. And so Eben had just made this incredible uh, worldview shift. And he was amazed that I was already really completely living in that worldview. And so thus began our connection. And uh, it went on from there, but I'll, I'll let you kind of guide the conversation. That's okay. No, that, that's an incredible story. And I, I always get a chuckle when you mention about his response. It's 
sweet. And I think probably a lot of people might have come to that conclusion as well, because we have disconnected from our heart consciousness for all different reasons. We've lost that. Now, it's nothing new because we've always had it, but it got lost along the way. Well, well, it got lost in our Western world because way back during the Greek time, it was discussed as a logical issue. The idea that our soul survives death must be arrived at from a logical, reasoned explanation, not because someone told you or because you had an experience. That's where it all began. And when we moved through our Western culture and the religious and uh, scientific people started getting into conflict. Remember the Inquisition, the religious folks were killing people for making suggestions about the spiritual realm. And, uh, you know, this is where we find ourselves. They got split and divorced, really. And now we need to get them back together. We need to get them back together. And uh, that's what we're up to, because you're absolutely correct. This knowledge that Eben is just now discovering has been uh, recorded in ancient mystical texts from thousands of years ago. This is nothing new. We made a choice. Now, when we made that choice, we ended up becoming a culture with incredibly advanced technology. I'm not sure we could have mastered the physical world as we have without that divorce from the spirituality. So we have to think that there was some kind of bigger picture potentially for all of this to take place. But yes, now's the time. We need to get the band back together. We need to bring spirituality back into our lives as an understood part of who we are, but not necessarily with the religious dogma. That can still be a personal choice. But just the idea that uh, we have an eternal soul, this is very big news for many, many people, especially if it gets validated by scientific minds. And that's where we're headed. Definitely. It makes me think about how a lot of Eastern cultures and Eastern belief systems, they, they don't need the science to prove this because, like you said, they know. They've always known. And it's been passed along through generations. Yeah. And it was the West where we decided we, we chose, we made a choice. Nope, we're not gonna believe that anymore. It's It can't be. And that was that. So here's where we find ourselves. Indeed. So then what did you say to Dr. Alexander then? What was your response about his response to the consciousness doesn't come from the brain? How did you guide him or advise him or share with him about connecting to something deeper than that epiphany? Well, that really came up because I was surprised that he did not speak of, when I asked him about his profound lesson, he did not bring up anything about the unconditional love, that love force that really nearly all near-death experiencers talk about. And he didn't bring it up. And of course, he did have that experience and we did eventually get there. But I said, well, what about the love? Didn't you experience the love? And he said, oh yes, of course but you can't bring that love back here. It's just much too powerful. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you there because I have not had a near-death experience and yet I have felt that love. Now, I can't say for sure, this is that scientific concept qualia, I can't say for sure that what I experienced was the same thing that he experienced and he and others who've had these types of experiences may in fact had a much, much more intense experience of that love. But 
even if I was only touching a fraction of that love, a tiny fraction, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever, ever felt. And so I said, Evan, well, you know, you can bring that love here and it may not be quite as powerful, but I can tell you when, when you can open yourself up, you can become really a conduit for that love. You, be, you are able to hold it. And then just by the way the heart works, the heart naturally radiates whatever is in someone's emotional field out to the world around them. I said, this is how we can bring this love into the world. And I, and I at that time, was very interested in asking people, do you love yourself? And so I asked him, do you love yourself? And this is when he paused. And he had a hard time. He didn't just, you know, come out with, well, of course I do, like a lot of people do. He said, well, you know, I, I really don't. And I said, well, how could you have that experience and not realize, you know, you are deeply loved and cherished forever. You will be taken care of was that profound lesson. How could he not have embodied that was my big question. And it all went back to the fact that he was adopted and he was given up for uh from by his birth mother when he was 11 days old but it was four months when he found his uh new family so he, from 11 days to four months he basically was living in a children's home but he had bonded with that mother those first few days and so he lost her and that visceral nonverbal feeling of losing this loving connection it stuck with him his entire life. And so as he went through life, he would say it this way, that he felt unworthy of being loved. And when you look at the situation, well, his baby self thought, someone left me behind. I must not be good enough. And that sort of feeling stayed with him through childhood. I call this a baby wound. In fact, I invented that phrase from our conversations because I realized that this happened when he was a baby. And so any kind of intellectual uh, reasoning around, well, of course, you're worthy of being loved. Your mother loves you. And now he's reunited with his birth mother. She, in fact, does love you as well. But that wasn't enough. And so he struggled with that for a while. And I remember uh, kind of coaching him to do the same thing that I did, which was to find a reference point within that makes you recall that feeling. And of course, for him, that reference point was his near-death experience. And so he started doing that when he would go into the meditative states, he would uh, imagine himself feeling that feeling. And over time, uh, a couple years, I would say, he was able to really process finally a lot of those emotions. And I will say that there's still a tiny remnant of it in there, but you know, we're all just human and we all have something like that. These baby wounds happen when we're children, something happens. Sometimes you're being physically, emotionally or sexually abused, something like that. But other times it's just simple things like for my, for myself, it was uh, when my parents got divorced, I was seven years old. I had two brothers, one year older, one year younger. So we were stair-step children. Uh, my parents sat us down and said, we're going to get a divorce. Which one of us would you like to live with? And I thought that was absolutely so strange to ask us. My father had been in Vietnam for two years. And so for me, it was a very easy choice. I said, well, of course, I'm going to live with my mother. She's the one who cares for me. 
And I decided, and you don't even want to stay married and be our dad. So I guess you don't care for us either. My brothers were different. They couldn't decide. They were diplomatic and did not give an answer, but I did. I was like, well, I'm, I'm going with mom. And so at, in that moment, I look back now, I didn't realize at the time, I made a choice to reject my father. I made a choice that I did not need the love of my father, that I could be just fine without that love. And that I really shut down a part of myself that I didn't realize. So even something like that, a conversation, one choice that you make can set up a scene really for the rest of your life. And I did have trouble in relationship, really opening and allowing myself to be loved and trusting that someone would take care of me. And again, now here we found each other and Evan and I, and we discuss our, our baby wounds. Mine, of course, was more a child wound. And uh, it's interesting. We've come to the conclusion that very likely every person on the planet has some type of abandonment issue from childhood, whether it was a good friend, a mother who died, um, you know, a teacher who, who treated you wrong, some authority figure or friend or relative. So everyone has this kind of reenactment of that separation from source. That's how we put it, that somehow that feeling it gets fulfilled through an experience, that feeling of separation. And then you blame that experience for that feeling of separation. When in fact, all of us left that spiritual realm, we separated from that comforting, loving force. And we don't understand because of this program forgetting that takes place. So we, we have other situations in our lives that uh, sort of make that feeling of abandonment seem real. So... Yeah, that's where our conversations led from the science into the very deeply personal issues that we both had. It becomes very personal. It's a very personal journey. And it is even more important to get reconnected with our inner self, our higher self, to address these physical issues that we have, the being physically incarnate and having the baby wounds. I mean, I think most people are struggling, like you said, with some sort of wound that they're trying to overcome and acknowledge. But when you're disconnected from your soul, from your essence, it becomes very challenging and it's very easy to, to go the wrong way. Well, and when you don't realize you have a wound, yeah. right? So it was my personal practice of going within that led me to even realize that. And I wasn't looking because I thought I was very uh, emotionally stable. I thought that I was doing just fine and was able to manage things. So I wasn't looking for a problem, but, but I did want to generate personal experience. And so in the process of doing that, many of these courses I went to, they put us through different meditations. And for me, meditation was a big mystery. And it was something I thought that I just wasn't capable of doing because when I would sit to try to meditate, I just continued to have these distracting thoughts and I would focus on my breath and I thought, oh, my mind will blank and it never did. And it got very frustrating. So I would try to just do this for 10 minutes and I would sit there with my eyes closed and I would think, you know, half an hour went by, I'd open my eyes and it was only four minutes or something. And I think this is the case for many, I'll say, Western minds, people who aren't accustomed to doing this. So even people who live in 
China and India might have a Western mind because it really has taken over our entire world. So this uh, idea that going within is really the pathway to all of this was a big mystery to me, but it was a particular quality of sound that really helped me to quiet the mind. And in fact, Eben and I met at a workshop where we were exploring sound to enter expanded states of consciousness. But sound at first just helped me to calm the mind. So sounds like tuning forks, gongs, crystal bowls, brass bowls, anything that kind of makes that monotone sort of wavering sound, like that wah, 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 that, that is just so soothing. And eventually I discovered binaural beats and uh, went on to co-found Sacred Acoustics where we make uh, these recordings available to others. It was actually Eben who encouraged us to make these recordings available to others. But before I get too much into that, the other part of this is that I started doing heart rhythm meditation. And when I combined the sound with attention to the heart, that's when the magic really started to happen. But when I was at one of these heart rhythm meditation retreats, I remember doing this meditation and at one point feeling the most profound existential state of loneliness I had never felt. I could, I could not be consoled after, during and after this meditation. I was crying and so upset and not anything anyone could say would bring me out of it. And I was desperately alone, this feeling. And I didn't know where it all came from. And so I just allowed myself to cry. I had learned by that point that if I were to start feeling emotional, to not hold it back, but to just let it release. And that made all the difference because I prior to that, I would, uh, if I felt myself crying, I would stop it. Especially if I was in a class with other people, I didn't want to cry in front of others. But finally, when I allowed it, it started to happen. And that's when I would reach these deeper depths of this loneliness. And so this one day this occurred, so, so, so upset. And it was either later that day or the following day, we did another meditation. And this meditation was different. This meditation uh, what they would have us do at this retreat is breathe in and out of our heart in different directions. So the loneliness came when I was breathing up and down. So up and then down, imagining my breath was moving that way. But when I was imagining my breath was moving forward to back, it's when this other thing took place. And that's when I felt behind me. That's why I wanted to mention the breath pattern. I felt behind me a presence. I felt behind me a multitude of presence. I felt behind me the mo most support anyone could ever possibly need in this world. I felt like there was this reservoir of support there for me as long as I just opened that channel. And so ever since then, I have not had that return to that desperate existential loneliness. It, it, it's almost like I tapped into it through that emotion without realizing what I had done. And in that vulnerable state of release, that other meditation allowed this other experience to happen. And so that was one of the times where I connected to this amazing, amazing, loving force. There was no doubt in my mind that this reservoir of support was and is there for me anytime I wish to go within and request it, and I do. And so this was uh, a very practical way to uh, 
really reckon with what was that loneliness. Later on, I realized the story. The story was related to my father. It was related to deciding I don't need anybody. And uh, my relationship with my mother was such that I became an incredibly independent person. To my detriment, there's always good quality or good things and bad things about our, our qualities. And, uh, you know, it's great to be independent, but when you are so independent that you block off the real ability to connect with others, you're really missing out on what we're really here for. And that is to experience that binding force of love. And so once I was able to open myself up to it, everything changed about my interactions with everyone. And in fact, it was within some time after that, that I ended up leaving a marriage that was just not good for me. And I finally got the uh, bravery and courage to do it. And I believe it really was because I was aligned with that higher essence. It gave me strength. It made me realize I have a higher purpose, that this isn't where I belonged. And as my energy shifted, it just became untenable to stay in that marriage. It's not like it was a I tried to make the logical decision and I couldn't bring myself to do it. But one day I was just different and I couldn't dance the little dance that we used to do. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've changed. And he realized too. And that caused fear in him. And eventually I did uh, end the marriage. But I believe it was better for both of us because if you're not in a marriage where you're mutually exchanging this, this kind of deep, meaningful love it's you're not really fulfilling the potential of a of a tight relationship like that. And I will say when I met Evan, there was no choice involved. <laughs> this was taken over. Another thing I know I'm going on and on. No, but, it's good. Please. Okay, good. <laughs> Please. Um, the other thing that happened when we met uh, was at this workshop, we were uh, guided as a group to stand in a circle holding each other's hands. And we were guided to feel the energy move to the left and then feel it move to the right. Then we were told to split, and I had done that exercise before, and of course it's pretty remarkable that you can feel such things. But after that, we were told to separate into two uh, sets of two. And I was standing next to Evan. So he said, hey, you want to be my partner? And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> we we stood <laughs> we stood together. What we were supposed to do, one would stand still and the other would walk towards the person and then back away. And we were supposed to note the uh, location where the energy shifted. Another very calm and sort of beginner energy feeling exercise. So as I was walking in and out of Evan's energy field, I felt it. But I felt it in a kind of a surprising way. And uh, it was pretty overwhelming. I felt this resonance within me, within my heart. But I didn't want to say that. I, uh, I said, well, I feel a little tingly. And yes, I was kind of dancing around it. And I said, what do you feel? And he said, oh, my goodness. I feel like the yin and the yang of our hearts have joined as one. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> that that describes what I'm feeling. And uh, that that it just went from there as we really just discovered this energy between us that was really just always there, already there. And uh, there was no choice. 
involved. There, there was a an uh, an irresistible resistance is futile, <laughs> as they say in Star Trek with the Borg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, resistance is futile. I tried to resist and I couldn't, and here we are today. And pr practically, um, the, it progressed such that after Proof of Heaven came out, he wanted to teach others how to cultivate these kinds of experiences and invited me since I had done that for so many years to help teach others how to do it using these sound recordings. And so we were doing that in a, sort of a professional capacity, but at the same time, we were becoming more and more connected on a personal level. And uh, here we are today. That's so beautiful. And it's pretty evident as well. The work is just twice as expanded but between the two of you. It's very much appreciated. <laughs> it's interesting too, because I think if I had met Eben before he had his near-death experience, I'm not sure we would have had anything to discuss or how that feeling really would have felt. It might've been very confusing to understand it because also by this time I had uh, released that loneliness, learned how to feel the love, learned how to radiate it. So I was already really living that and he noticed and we met, we meshed. That's all I can say. Sometimes you meet someone and that energy is just there. You yeah. like when you said, when we first got on, I feel like I know you yeah. that yes, that when that happens with people, we probably do know each other on some level, but we've forgotten. Yeah. Darn forgetting. Yes. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So how then Kevin Cossey is your counterpart to sacred acoustics because yes. he he's an important factor in this whole story. So tell me how you connected with him then. Well, I met Kevin one year before I met Evan mm -hmm. at the same workshop location. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And so Kevin and I had returned and that's when we met Evan. So Kevin was there as well, but I had met Kevin one year previously and uh, when I met him, he he had this ability to describe his experiences in uh, great detail. The experiences, what would happen at these workshops is we would all listen to these sound recordings and then get together and tell each other about what we experienced. And so he kind of caught my eye and um, it was he intrigued all of us, really. But uh, we started talking and he let me know he was a mechanical and electrical engineer, very intense. And he said he wanted to make his own binaural beats. And I said, really? Wow. Well, you're pretty confident. That doesn't, <laughs> you're not a musician or an audio engineer. How do you think you're going to do that? And he said, well, I'm an engineer. We take things apart. We put them back together. And I said, wow, that sounds interesting. I would love to hear whatever you make whenever you do that. And I said, because I've listened to everything. I've got a vast library of so many different producers of binaural beats and other types of sound that I had been experimenting with to see what worked well for me. And so when he heard about that vast library, <laughs> he became very interested and he wanted to get his hands on those recordings to analyze them. And so that's when our partnership really began. We went home to our respective locations. He was in New York. I was in Baltimore at the time. And we started sharing, we were both highly technical, fortunately. So I started sharing files with him uh, over the internet and he started sharing a Skype screen with me way back in 2011. 
2010, 2010, 2011. And uh, we sort of looked at them together, these recordings, and figured out how these binaural beats were created and how we could create them ourselves. Now, Kevin is the primary audio engineer, but I will tell you that he and I were the only ones listening to these recordings at first. And so I was the one giving him all the feedback. And so these recordings were really made to my personal preference, really both of our combined personal preference. So we would get them to where we both were happy with them and then listen to them over and over again. And we would listen at the same time, just like we did at these workshops. And then we would get on the phone and tell each other what happened. And this was just great, great fun for many months. We would do this almost every night wow. after our after our day jobs. And it was quite a hobby and uh, very, very interesting. But then one year later is when we met Evan. So we had already been developing this technology for some time for our own personal use. And when Evan went to New York in January uh, of 2012, which was just six weeks after we met, Kevin went to his hotel in New York where he was gonna go visit with publishers and hooked him up to our EEG device and, and let him listen to one of our favorite recordings. And that's when Evans was blown away. He had already been using sound, other sound, and he said, this sound is superior. This took me to that place so much quicker and so much more powerfully. And so he started listening with us. So we would have these three-way kind of uh, sound journeys as we call them. And uh, then the recording started to incorporate Evan's feedback. Now, after Proof of Heaven came out, like I said, he encouraged us because we all three had been, and sometimes Kevin, Kevin's wife would join us. We would have a four-way. He got married during that time and she would join us uh, occasionally. So it, this can happen with any number of people. And we all kind of would have slightly different experiences, yet often with a common theme. And that's what was so interesting and validating because sometimes when you have these experiences, first of all, it's very hard to put words to them. And when you do, it just sounds really crazy to someone else who's listening. And so when you can hear other people share their experiences, you start to gain more confidence in sharing your own and understanding that these kinds of things happen to everyone. But we all have different ways of getting the information. Some are highly visual, like Kevin, very highly visual when he's in these experiences. Some are more feeling. I am a more feeling or instant knowing kind of information. And Eben is a combination, really. I'm not sure what his big strength is. But uh, yeah, we're all very different. And yet these common themes start to pop up. So that's, that's uh, how we all kind of came together. That's an extraordinary story, really. And divine timing is at work here is what I'm hearing, right? I'll say yes. <laughs> and when I met Kevin, I had a similar sort of instant connection, but right. on a much different level. Sure. There was, it was all intellectual, uh, but almost as if he was my switched at birth twin brother or something. It was really interesting how we interacted in those early days, but there was never a hint of any uh, romance between us, sure. uh, just to be clear. Uh, so that made things very simple when sure. we met Evan, <laughs> yeah. because we were not any kind of 
had any kind of connection like that. Not that I was looking, I was pretty much done. I was like, I'm not going to worry about dating. I'm just going to, you know, align with my higher self and, and worry about that for now. And lo and behold, I aligned with my higher self and my entire world changed in a couple of years. So been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I feel yes. you. <laughs> yes. And was this for you after a practice of going within or however? You know what? Just very briefly, I studied medical Qigong. I was a social worker for a decade. I studied medical Qigong towards the end of that, um, my, my career. And that's when everything opened up for me. And I spent two years having a lot of mystical phenomena happen. And then I too, you know, sort of in and out of relationship, but I was trying to take a step back. And when I finally swore it off, I said, okay, I'm just going to be with my higher yes. self. Like you said, <laughs> in comes a high school friend 25 years later. Who Wonderful. is now, things are going well, but I mean, who seem, you know, who's, if, if and nothing else, essentially my husband. So. so isn't that interesting? It's when we both sort of really, truly let go. Yeah. Not, not just pretend to let go, but really, truly said, yep. we don't care, forget about it. Maybe and I a meant different. It. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, of course, had tried that before. Oh, sure. I don't care, but I really did still care. Sure. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. But I do I do want to point out that these recordings are not just for these kind of journeying experiences. That is how uh, it, it, it worked for me. But these recordings can also be used just to uh, reduce anxiety, to get better sleep. We did a pilot study in a busy uh, Manhattan psychiatric practice a couple of years ago that was written up in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in... February of 2020, it finally got published. And what we found was when people listen to a certain set of recordings using the listening protocols I provided, they, which were very flexible, the listening protocols allow for a lot of flexibility so that people can work them into their daily lives. And after two weeks of listening, these uh, psychiatric patients noted a 26% reduction in anxiety. And this was using the state trait anxiety inventory. So I think it was um, trait anxiety reduced more than state anxiety, which apparently, according to the psychiatrist, was pretty remarkable because trait anxiety is kind of just who we are, how we walk around, whereas state anxiety is when we're in a certain situation that makes us anxious. And so that was pretty remarkable. Now, the control group, they also had a reduction in anxiety. Those were patients in her practice who did not listen to the recordings. They experienced a 7% reduction in anxiety, but almost a 20-point difference just by adding these recordings. And these particular recordings, I will just let your listeners know, are actually available on our website. They're called the Whole Mind Bundle. There's a guide that comes with them that includes these listening protocols. And uh, we, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, when everything shut down and all of our travel was canceled, we decided to make those recordings uh, available at a drastically reduced price of, of only $19, it's nine different recordings. And we made a free option for anyone in financial uncertainty, which many, 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 many people, hundreds if not thousands have taken advantage of. And if people don't have money, it shouldn't stop them from finding ways to go within. And the reason that it's so important to me for people to go within is that we are all connected. 
that whatever is going on in my heart is affecting the people around me. So anyone who takes time like yourself and many others to really integrate this into their lives, you have my gratitude because you're helping me as you're helping yourself. And this is uh, something I call service to self is the same as service to others. When you're really clearing out those baby wounds, those stagnant emotions, those limiting beliefs, you know, we're all part of a collective consciousness and every soul is integral to that whole. And so anyone, there should be no block for anyone to take advantage of this technology. Now, everyone who listens has a different response, but it's worth trying. Many of us need to do some trial and error to see what kind of techniques work best for us. Even within our sound library, some recordings will work better for some than others. And so it, it just takes a little trial and error to figure it all out. But People have reduced anxiety, they've helped, they've gotten better sleep, they've been able to focus and study more. Um, all those basic things that are really the precursor If for any true beginners, you really need to learn how to just feel a little less anxious, re release a little stress and uh, you know, find that space within. But at first it's not there. <laughs> yeah. At first that space isn't there. It's not there waiting for you uh obviously but it is there in a more subtle fashion and over time and some hard release moments uh challenging release moments you'll get there i've heard some people say that sound therapy uh can bring some discomfort initially as blockages are being cleared is this common do, do people mention that to you Yes. And it happened for me. And I didn't realize that was what was happening. That's why I, I let people know that exact thing. I think any sort of meditative technique has that potential when you get quiet. But for some reason, sound seems to be one of the more in-your-face kind of powerful tools for some. And for some, it's just as simple as being at a gong bath right? Where they're, where they're playing gongs and all these beautiful instruments and you just lay and absorb all of those sounds. Others, it's crystal bowls, brass bowls, like I said. Interestingly, those instruments have binaural beats naturally embedded in them. And anytime you hear this wah, wah, wah sound, that's what these crystal bowls are emitting. That's what binaural beats sound like. That's a natural binaural beat. The beauty of that's why people find them so mesmerizing because they're entraining the brain to a lower state of awareness. But I think that what happens with the sound is that the vibrations of the sound seem to activate the vibrational state of whoever is listening to them. And whatever is in your vibrational energy field will come to your attention. And so many of us have unprocessed emotions stored in our energy field. It's no surprise that activating that energy field might bring our attention to them. And so, yes, I find it to be quite common, actually. Some people have very extreme reactions. And of course, people need to tread gently because uh, some people might have emotional traumas severe emotional traumas that they've suppressed. Mm -hmm. And so in such cases, some people may need the assistance of a therapist. Most of us do not. Uh, most of us can handle it, even though, it, yes, it can be incredibly hard. But again, the advice, when you feel that kind of coming up, 
is to let it come out. Find a safe space and just let it come out, whether it starts with just a few tears or out and out sobbing, whatever it is, allow yourself to feel it. That's what releases it from your energy field. And once it's released, it's replaced with something else, something wonderful. And that's why I brought it up. I just don't want people to feel discouraged and not understand what's happening. Just just to have that expectation to know, okay, this is normal. This is a part of it. Let's let yeah. it flow. Yeah. And I do have on uh, the web, sacredacoustics.com website, mm -hmm. a series of, I call them training videos. They're all free, but they talk about a lot of different common concerns as well. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, so that's where we can find out all the information, sacredacoustics.com. Yes. Did you have any closing thoughts today, Karen, with, with sharing your life story and your work? Anything you want to share with the listeners, a point of inspiration? Well, I'd love for people to just go try it out for themselves. Hearing us talk about it is, isn't enough. And we have a free download, a 20-minute um recording as we call it that you just enter your email on the website we'll send it to you and also check out that whole mind bundle but again my final comment is that anyone who takes the time to do this and if these tools don't work for you continue looking for those that do qigong is another beautiful way to open up these energies for example but anyone who does this has my gratitude and thanks for taking time to do this because the world needs you. The world needs all of us to clear our individual energy fields so that the experience that happened in both of our individual lives where we, we went within, we cleared our stuff, we learned how to connect to that higher nature, and then our entire world around us changed. That same thing can happen to us collectively. The more of us who go within and learn how to do all of this, the more our entire world will start to change. I guarantee it. If we do this, if all of us do this, we can change the world. Most definitely. That was beautifully stated. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I've loved this conversation very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Karen Newell, for more on Karen and brainwave entrainment, please visit sacredacoustics.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And make sure to join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.